Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. NBA playoffs round one complete. And for the first time since 2011, there will be no Game 7 in the first round of an NBA playoff series. No Game 7s. In the NBA's quarterfinal round, last night, Memphis and Minnesota, the best first-round series that was played this year, high-octane, high-energy, fun series, good young basketball teams, good pace, good energy, good vibe about this series. I love seeing two teams, two young basketball teams like this come from places that don't normally enjoy success in the NBA. The last time the Minnesota Timberwolves had a good basketball team, you could get a six-piece McNugget at McDonald's for $4.79. As a matter of fact, chicken selects were still on the menu. This is a long-ass time ago. This predates the first-ever YouTube video. That's the last time the T-Wolves had a good basketball team worth talking about. Before the first YouTube video came out in 2005, They've been the drizzling shits for a couple of decades now. That's why I had no problem, no objection whatsoever with the way they celebrated after winning their play-in game to make the playoffs in the first place. I had zero issue with that. This is a team, a franchise, that had one playoff appearance since 2003. 2017 was the last time they made the playoffs. They lost in five games to the Houston Rockets. That was a Chris Paul, James Harden-led Houston Rocket team. They were quickly escorted out of the playoffs. Grand opening, grand closing. They had a cup of coffee and went home. 2003, they made the Western Conference Final and lost in six games to my beloved L.A. Lakers back when the Lakers were a competent basketball team. The T-Wolves have been trash for a long time, so if people want to celebrate pop bottles and bitches want to take their shirts off. I have no, I'll, I'll never have a problem with that. If people in Minnesota wanted to celebrate that victory in the play-in game, let them. What's wrong with people having fun? All these curmudgeons on television, the inside the NBA douchebags, those coon-ass sambos, they were on TV like openly laughing at these people that Patrick Beverly was going wild. He had just beaten his former team. He beat the Clippers, a team that casted them to the side and determined they no longer needed his services. Of course he's going to be hyped. This is Patrick Beverly we're talking about. Of course, this team and this fan base was going to show genuine human emotion. They haven't done anything in a couple of decades. Let people have their fun. Let the T-Wolves have their fun. They made the playoffs this year, losing six games to the Memphis Grizzlies last night. It's a good young team on the rise. However, their basketball IQ is missing. They collectively have the basketball IQ of a can of paint. This team cannot execute, could not execute down the stretch in pivotal NBA playoff games in this series. They blew three double-digit leads in this series. How does that happen? Bad shot selection, youth, inexperience, crumbling under pressure, mental breakdowns. That's how that happens. They haven't been here before. They don't know any better. They don't know what they don't know, and they really don't know anything. When Patrick Beverly is your trusted veteran, you might have some issues. When Patrick Beverly is the guy you got to turn to for guidance and leadership and, and, and expertise and all that other shit, I mean, he might he can, he can tell you something. He's been in the NBA for a long time. He's a, he's a well-traveled veteran, a good player. I always like Patrick Beverly. He plays the game the way I think the game should be played. Some people might say it's borderline dirty. 
I just call it gamesmanship. That's just a guy bending the rules about as far as they can be bent. But overall, I always like Patrick Beverly. He don't back down from anybody. He should play basketball with black-on-black Air Force Ones on. That's a different story, either him or Reggie Jackson, but whatever. I always like Patrick Beverly, but if he's your veteran that you're looking to for guidance and leadership, if he's the guy, the veteran on the team that you're looking to to settle everyone down, to calm everyone's nerves, to reassure everyone that's going to be all right, because I've been here before, I can guide y'all through this, you're going to be in desperate trouble, and that's what the Minnesota Timberwolves were. When Patrick Beverly is mocking John Morant and telling him he's too small, and then John Morant proceeds to score the final 13 points of the game for his team, including the game winner, it makes you look stupid. You look dumb. You look like a jackass. And that's how Patrick Beverly looked in that moment in Game 5 of that series in Memphis. That was a game for the ages. In the fourth quarters of Games 3 through 6 in this series, they were all dominated by the Memphis Grizzlies in Game 3. They went on a 37-12 run, plus 25, to take the lead and win that game. Game 4, 31-26, plus 5, they lost that game. Game 5, however, the aforementioned Game 5, a 37-24 run at a plus 13 clip. And in Game 6 on the road in Minnesota in a potential closeout game, a 40-22, plus 18 run. Minnesota for the series was a plus 29 in quarters 1 through 3, a minus negative 62 in the fourth quarter, winning time, the money time. The three leading scorers for Minnesota, two of them saw a dip in points per game production in the playoffs compared to the regular season. D'Angelo Russell, former L.A. Laker, should still be L.A. Laker D'Angelo Russell, averaged 18.1 points per game in the regular season. That dropped to 12.0 in the playoffs. Carl Anthony Towns, 24.6 points per game. In the regular season, 21.8 points per game in the playoffs. The only star player for the T-Wolves who stepped his game up in the playoffs was Anthony Edwards, former number one overall pick Anthony Edwards. He raised his points per game average from 21.3 in the regular season to 25.2 in this first-round playoff series versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Coaching also failed Minnesota. In game two, Memphis goes on a 21-0 run. The head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves is treating this game as a spectator and not as a head coach. He allows this to go. He does not call a timeout. How the fuck do you allow the opposing team to go on a 21-0 run and you don't call timeout? That is egregiously moronic. Are you fucking serious? Do you have a pulse? Are you alive right now? You're sitting on the, you're sitting on the sideline like Jack Nicholson. You might as well be a fan. Like Floyd Mayweather at Staples, you might as well be a fan. Like Prince used to be at Timberwolves games before he passed away. You're a fan. Call timeout, dude. You're not a fan, Ashley. You're the head coach. I couldn't believe that shit when I was watching game two. This guy's on the sideline frozen in time as the Memphis Grizzlies are running wild on his team like Hulkamania in the late 80s. This game might as well have been played at Madame Tussauds. This guy was frozen like a wax statue. Just couldn't move. Call timeout. Bail your team out. They don't know what they're doing right now. Their leader is Patrick Beverly. Call timeout. You're just going to sit there and allow your team to get their asses kicked in this NBA playoff game on TNT on live national television? A 21-0 run? That's, something, that's, like I said, egregiously moronic. That's the appropriate term for it. Egregiously moronic. You can't be serious with that. Poor coaching. Poor shot selection. Carl Anthony Towns in game six took two shots 
that shot them out the game and lost in the series. And he did that in every loss they had. All four losses, Carl Anthony Towns had hideous shot selection. Pulls up for a three. Misses. You're seven feet tall, man. Get on the fucking low block. I hate seeing that shit, number one, first and foremost. But you're seven feet tall. You take a three. He's a good outside shooter. I give him that. But still, you'd be more effective if you played on the low block in the post. Takes a three. Misses it. Next possession. Comes down. Takes a three from even farther away. This man is seven feet tall and pulling up from 35. You're not Kevin Durant. And he lost in the first round, too. You're calling Anthony Towns. You brick two threes in a row. Memphis gets a bucket after each possession. It's a one-point game that a few possessions later now turns into an eight-point game. You already lost, dude. It was an eight-point game with a minute and a half to go. The game's over. Wave the white flag. Just go. Last call. Pay your tab. Get the fuck out of here. It's over. Terrible shot selection throughout the entire series. Stupid fouls for a guy currently in year seven of his NBA career. He's still young. He can still learn a lot and grow and mature from this. Hopefully he does. Hopefully all three of them do. I'm rooting for Minnesota. I want to see them get better and continue this trend and not just be a one-year wonder or flash in the pan, be a perennial playoff participant. I want to see the T-Wolves on the NBA map. They're a fun team to watch all season long. But uh, this first-round playoff series, Memphis has a little bit more experience. They're a young team, too, but they were in the playoffs last year, losing in the first round to the Utah Jazz. But still, that's playoff. That's OJT. That's on-the-job training. That's live experience, something that Minnesota didn't have before this series started. So Memphis was able to lean on their experience from last year and come through in the clutch in big games and big moments. Desmond Bain. Should have won most improved player this season. It was cool that John Morant just gave it to him. John Morant won most improved player of, uh, of this season. I don't necessarily agree with that. Not that John Morant, first of all, John Morant was already a great player. So how, how did he really improve that dramatically? Second of all, his team actually had a great record this season without him. They were like 20 and 2 or 21 and 2 in games that John Morant couldn't play. Desmond Bain really established himself this season, and I feel like more people should be talking about him. And one of the cool things about seeing small market teams like Memphis, teams that haven't normally been on the NBA map, haven't normally been in the playoffs for millions for the entire world to watch, it's cool seeing teams like that advance because a guy like Desmond Bain can now become a household name. This guy is a second-year player out of TCU last season's rookie season. He was the 30th pick. In the 2020 draft, his rookie season was a year ago. He averaged 9.2 points per game this season, the second year in the NBA. He doubles that. This year, he averaged 18.2 in the regular season. In the playoffs, he averaged 23.5. He raised his game from year one to year two and into the playoffs. Just getting better and better step-by-step, day-by-day, brick-by-brick. Not only should he have won most improved player this season, I thought he was the best player the Memphis Grizzlies had in uniform for that first-round playoff series versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I thought Bain was a better player and a more key contributor in this series than John Morant was. Not to say that John Morant didn't contribute in this series. As I said earlier, he scored 13 points to close the game out, including the game-winning bucket in Game 5. He did his thing, but he was also missing a lot of shots in and around the basket. A lot of easy buckets, a lot of bunnies. He was missing runners and floaters and layups around the rim. And his jump shot was a little bit off, too, most of this series. There were some games, especially in the losses, is more magnified, where it's like people were starting to question John Morant for a little bit. In that first-round playoff series, it was Desmond Bain 
who I thought was the biggest reason they're going to advance to a semifinal matchup with the Golden State Warriors, who took care of the Denver Nuggets in five games. I called I called this series before it even happened. I was telling people, I was like, two series in particular are going to go five games. A gentleman's sweep, if you will. With Atlanta versus Miami, I knew Miami was going to beat them. They're the better team. They're the one seed. Atlanta had to win a playing game against Cleveland to make the playoffs. I knew exactly how that series was going to go, a five-game gentleman's sweep. I gave Trey Young his credit, his respect, and said he's good enough by himself individually to win a playoff game, even though Miami had this man under immense pressure. But I gave him that respect, and he did. He had a game-winning floater in game three for the lone win of that series for the Atlanta Hawks. And in game five, get the fuck out of here. Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. Pretty much all by himself. No Michael Porter Jr., no Jamal Murray. The reigning, conquering, defending league MVP from last season, a presumptive league MVP for this season. He might go back to back. A lot of people are speculating. I don't think he should win it this year. I think Embiid should win it. But nevertheless, uh, Jokic is an MVP finalist. And I gave him his proper respect and said he's good enough by himself to pull out one victory against the Golden State Warriors. And that's exactly what happened. Game four. Denver showed up and played with pride and integrity and honor and courage and commitment and won game four of that series and forced a game five where they eventually lost. And game five, is that's a playoff game. Okay, if you don't know what an NBA playoff game looks like, if you're, if you're new to this, to watching basketball, or you're a young dude, a young girl, a young person in general, and you, you don't really – you're not my age. You're not 37. You, you didn't grow up in a certain time where you know what NBA playoff basketball looks like, the physicality, the intensity – the toughness, the grit, determination, the fight, a basketball game that resembles a fight in some levels. That's NBA playoff basketball. It all matters. Everything's on the line. Every possession matters. Every loose ball, every charge, every screen, every single nuance of the basketball game all matters in the playoffs. In game five of that Denver Golden State series, that was a playoff game. They came correct. The defense in that game, they played basketball in that game. But it wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough for Denver to win that series and move on past Golden State. Golden State has a complete basketball team. They're at their healthiest they've been all season. Klay Thompson coming back from a torn ACL and a torn Achilles. This guy pretty much missed two complete years of basketball. The last time he played before this season was game six of the 2019 NBA Finals where he tore his ACL in a dunk and also being fouled by Danny Green from behind. He missed two seasons took a while for him to get reacclimated, to get his legs under him, to get his feet wet, to feel comfortable on the court, also to integrate himself back into the, the, into the lineup. You had the emergence of Jordan Poole, which further complicated things as far as Clay trying to get reacclimated to playing alongside his Golden State teammates and also get comfortable playing basketball, to trust that knee, to trust that Achilles. Took a while for Clay to really get going. Draymond missed some games this season with a back injury. Iguodala was out. Steph had a foot injury late in March when Marcus Smart rolled up on the back of his leg. He missed a lot of games, missed the rest of the regular season. A lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty about the Golden State Warriors coming into the NBA playoffs. They answered a lot of questions with his five-game performance in the first round. Jordan Poole was a monster. Established himself as another splash brother, I guess. He light-skinned, he fits right in. Jordan Poole was whipping ass in the first two games of this series. And then Steph... Caught up off the bench. Steph off the bench was killing shit in this game. And how, how selfless, selfless, not selfish, selfless. There's a difference. Look it up. 
It's Wardell Stephen Curry. This guy is a consummate professional. There's a reason why this is my favorite basketball player in the NBA. There's a lot of reasons. But this right here embodies what kind of player he is. He could, he could have easily said, no, Jordan Poole, you go to the bench. I'm Steph Curry. I'm the franchise. I'm going to start. No. Steve Kerr asked Curry if he wants to come off the bench. He said, sure, coach. Why not? And it worked. And they won. Now, game five, he started. But that, that decision, that organization respects Steph so much, and rightfully so. He is the franchise. They built that new arena in San Francisco because of Steph Curry. He's been the face of that organization for a decade plus. They gave him the appropriate amount of respect and said, you let us know when you want to start. And that's what he did. In game five, he told Coach Kerr, I'm going to start this game. Coming off that loss in game four, but the first four games, Steph Curry, the second biggest star in the NBA behind only LeBron James, the face of the franchise, the man on all these goddamn Subway commercials, this dude says, nah, I'll come off the bench. That's a star right there. That guy knows he's a star, but he's also humble and selfless and does what's right for the team. Salute to Steph Curry, man. Golden State is tough, man. As long as, see, it's no different from any, any other team in the playoffs. Health is going to decide and determine who ultimately wins the championship. Whoever's the healthiest team left is going to win. But with Golden State, I think that, that applies to them more than anyone else because they got to have everyone in uniform. As long as they got Steph and Clay and Draymond, Iguodala coming back. The boys are back in town. The band is getting back together. It feels like 2015 again. Where's Leandro Barbosa when you need him? Where's Festus Azili? Where's Mo Spates? Where's David Lee? This feels like it feels good. If you're a Warriors fan, I live in the Bay. A lot of goodwill out here. A lot of people are really feeling positive about the Golden State Warriors. It feels right. Everyone's back. But as long as they can stay healthy, that team can get to the finals. Health is going to determine who wins the championship, especially with the Golden State Warriors. They can't, they can't afford to lose anyone. They can't afford to lose Steph for obvious reasons. But Draymond makes everyone around him better. He's a great, he brings the ball up. He takes pressure off of Steph. He sets good screens, and yes, that matters. He plays great defense. He guarded Jokic in this series, and yes, Jokic got his numbers, but Draymond made him work for it. Look at game three when Draymond had a key steal off of Jokic while guarding him in the post. Raymond Green is the key to Golden State getting to the finals and potentially winning another championship. He's the glue guy. He does all the little things, all the intangibles, the dirty work. They cannot win without him. He's not going to average 25 and 15. It's never going to happen. It's probably going to be something like 9, 10, 10, and 4, whatever. Who knows? Something like that. He's never going to be a great volume scorer. He doesn't need to be. They got Curry, Poole, and Klay Thompson for that. But they desperately need him to do all the little things to his presence. All, the trash, all that trash talking matters, too. That gives guys confidence. The guy's an outspoken, charismatic basketball player. He's very vocal. Draymond Green ain't never been shy. That's a good thing. It takes pressure off the other guys. Draymond will do all the talking. And Steph can come up there and give all the political answers and not be bothered. Draymond will do all the talking. Clay can be his usual eccentric self, and it all works. In Golden State, like I said, good feelings about this team. But them more than anyone else, no one can get hurt. Because if one of these guys goes down, it's going to ruin everything for them. Preliminary prediction for that upcoming Memphis-Golden State series, I'm calling Golden State in seven. Warriors in seven. Memphis has home court. They're the number two seed. Golden State's a three seed. I think that's going to matter a little bit. Golden State and Memphis, that's going to be a tough series. That's probably going to be my favorite series to watch. 
because I'm a fan of so many people in this series of Steph and John Morant, Desmond Bain, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Brandon Clark, Draymond Green. Steven Adams is on this team as well. Dylan Brooks is a very nice player. Jaron Jackson. It's going to be a fire-ass series. Memphis and Golden State, that's going to be good basketball. The other Western Conference semifinal series, the Phoenix Suns, who survived a tough six-game series versus a game New Orleans Pelicans squad. You had a 64-18 Suns squad going up against a 36-46 New Orleans Pelicans team. I'm about to say Hornets. New Orleans Pelicans team. They had to go through the play-in tournament, a late-season addition, a great trade with the Portland Trailblazers to bring in C.J. McCollum, really elevated that, that Pelicans basketball team. And they played great basketball down the stretch. I'm a Laker fan. I should know. They kicked our ass three times. They win the play-in. They beat San Antonio. They beat the Clippers. And there they are in the playoffs in the first round against the one seed in the, in the entire NBA, the best team with the best record in the National Basketball Association. And they gave Phoenix everything they could possibly ask for. Now, it hurt Phoenix and helped out New Orleans that Devin Booker went out with a hamstring injury and missed a couple of games in this series. But, hey, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Injuries are a part of the game. Play on. They're not going to stop the series for Devin Booker or anybody else. Brandon Ingram, another former Laker. Are we noticing a trend here? Dominant in this series. Phoenix had no answer for that brother. He showed his full potential in that series. For so many years, people compared Ingram to a young Kevin Durant. He looked like it in that first-round playoff series. Jose Alvarado quickly becoming one of my favorite new players in the NBA. This brother is for real. Defense, heart, hustle, outside perimeter, jump shooter, pretty decent, pretty good at that. A nice, fun, young, energetic player. I'm loving all the new people we're seeing in these NBA playoffs. Out with the old, in with the new. A lot of new basketball players are getting to know. America's getting to know for the first time for the most part. And Jose Alvarado is the kind of guy you want on your team. You hate playing against a guy like that. All those sneak attack steals he gets where he comes from behind after you inbound the ball and little things like that. He was wearing Chris Paul out, especially in game five that Phoenix won. But game five in the first half anyway, Chris Paul was gassed. Alvarado had this man running a marathon out there. Giving him fits. He forced an eight-second backcourt violation. This is against Chris Paul. This is against a top five, top ten, all-time great legendary point guard. And this young brother, no fear in his heart. No fear whatsoever. I accept the challenge. You might be a legend, but I'm here. I'm here right now. This is my time. I'm ready to establish my reputation. We know who you are. It's time for you to find out who the fuck I am. That's what Jose Alvarado said to Chris Paul metaphorically through his play on the court. In this first round NBA playoff series, I enjoyed it. This was good basketball. But nevertheless, the Suns persisted in game six. First of all, game five, Michael Bridges, excellent on the defensive end, a great perimeter defender, but also giving them buckets. Someone had to step up in the absence of Devin Booker. It was Michael, Michael Bridges in game five, Aiden playing well. But in game six, the closeout game, you had Chris Paul, the consummate professional, the proven veteran, the point guard. Shooting a perfect 14 for 14 from the field for 33 points, 8 assists in 36 minutes. Closeout game. New Orleans, it's been real. Enjoy the beignets and crawfish and gumbo. Get the fuck out of here. They move on to the semifinals to take on the Dallas Mavericks who took care of the absolutely pitiful Utah Jazz. I hate the Utah Jazz for a number of reasons. The biggest reason is they waste my time. I look at them as a complete joke. You're never going to win anything. You're never going to attract free agents. What brother you know wants to go to Salt Lake City, Utah? Why does Utah even have a team? 
They're a waste of time. They have ugly uniforms, an ugly court. They're one of those teams that they play well in the regular season, but you know in the playoffs they're going to shit the bed and gracefully bow out. And just a very, very timid, meek, milquetoast basketball team. There's nothing great or exciting about the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert can no longer play together. Donovan Mitchell would rather pass a kidney stone than pass a basketball to Rudy Gobert. This team even had the advantage of no Luka Doncic in games one and two and still couldn't win this series. Jalen Brunson destroyed these motherfuckers without Luka Doncic. And you still can't take control of that series. Then he comes back and it's a wrap. It's over. Luka stomped a mud hole in Utah and walked it dry. Did you see game five? Game five, they were getting bludgeoned. They got choke slammed through a table in that game. Hassan Whiteside out there committing stupid-ass, silly, dangerous fouls or whatever. A fight by the breakout. Just ugly. And then game six, they go back home and lose. Thank you, Dallas Mavericks, for taking care of business and getting the woefully inept Utah Jazz the fuck out of here. I can't stand Utah. I just, like I said, they, they offend me as a basketball fan. They're wasting my time. If I'm doing a season on 2K and I got a game coming up against the Utah Jazz, you know what I do? I simulate that game. I don't even want to play them on a video game. I just, I just don't fuck with Utah. The name of the team is stupid. The Utah Jazz, there's no jazz in Utah. There's no black people in Utah. I don't acknowledge states that don't have black people. Utah, Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Alaska, I don't acknowledge you, man. I can't take your state or whatever you're trying to do seriously. How can a state with no black people in it have a basketball team? That makes zero sense to me. So my prediction for this series, I'm going to say Phoenix depends on Devin Booker's status. That hamstring is tricky. It can go either way. It's a soft tissue injury. You can pull that doing the smallest thing. Hamstrings have ruined a lot of NBA playoff series, a lot of sports in general. It's a tough, tricky injury. I'm going to say Dallas. I'm going to say Phoenix, I should say. Phoenix. I'm not calling the upset. The Phoenix Suns in seven. I think both Western Conference playoff series reach seven games, which will then give us the dream scenario, the Western Conference final that I wanted, that a lot of people wanted, Golden State. Phoenix, sign me up for all of that. I don't care who wins. Too early to predict it. We got to get there first. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I'm saying right now, Golden State and Phoenix, that's going to be a situation. Moving on to the Eastern Conference. Miami, the aforementioned Miami Heat, who, like I said, had Trey Young in solitary confinement. He averaged 28 points a game in the regular season. He averaged about 15 in his first-round playoff series. Miami throws a lot of bodies at you. They got a lot of people. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, the two best players, the two stars on the team. Then you throw in guys like P.J. Tucker, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Victor Oladipo. They found the scattered remains of Victor Oladipo and threw him out in the court in Game 5. Had a pretty nice game. Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, another body they throw at you. Didn't even play in that game. Miami still won. They throw a lot of people at you. Then, of course, you throw in the secret weapon of 41-year-old Udonis Haslam, who never plays but gives you a lot of mean mugs, screw faces, and ice grills from the sideline, from the bench. And that matters. That means something, okay? When a guy's averaging 15.2 screw faces a game, that puts fear in the heart of the opposition. That's intimidation right there. That matters. All right, it doesn't show up in the official stat sheet, but it shows up in the unofficial stat sheet. Udonis Haslam's intimidation from the bench of doing absolutely nothing is a key reason why the Miami Heat are in the semifinals of the NBA's Eastern Conference. Trey Young was going to pull up from 40 feet 
in game four. Took a look towards the Miami Heat bench, saw that mean mug, that screw face, that ice grill coming from Udonis Haslam and thought better about it. Passed the ball up. Happened again in the third quarter, he airballed it. That may or may not have happened, but Udonis Haslam's ice grills from the sideline will propel the Miami Heat to victory against, and I can't wait for this to happen, the Philadelphia 76ers. We are in line for the yearly playoff choke job failure, shitting the bed moment from not just one, not just two, but three different individuals. Head coach Doc Rivers, James Harden, Daryl Morey, who put this shit together. We took, the, we took what failed in Houston and brought it to Philadelphia and are hoping for different results. We took a head coach who has blown more 3-1 leads than any other coach in NBA history. He's blown a 3-1 lead on three separate occasions, twice for the L.A. Clippers, once for the Orlando Magic. Now, Doc was questioned about this uh, in the aftermath of Toronto's, I'm sorry, Philadelphia's victory over Toronto in game six to move on to the semifinals to the next round. Doc was questioned about this. He appeared defensive. He appeared combative. He appeared to be on the edge. He looked uncomfortable, like someone who didn't want to hear these questions. He was tired of hearing this shit. So what? I've blown three, three, one leads. There's a perfectly good explanation for it. And Doc Rivers was more than happy to give it. He said that was an eight-seeded team with Orlando in 2003, and that's true. They were in the first-round NBA playoff series, up three games to one against the number one seed Detroit Pistons, and they blew a 3-1 lead in that series and lost. Tracy McGrady famously at the at a post-game news conference said, sure, it, it sure feels good to get out the NBA first-round playoffs, to get, the, get out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. It feels good to get out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And then Detroit turned around and won the series and made McGrady look like an asshole. And that was Doc Rivers' first time blowing a 3-1 lead. He said that was the year Detroit won the championship. That's false. That was 2003. Detroit won their championship in 2004. I'm a Laker fan. I know these things. Doc Rivers stopped telling fibs. Stop selling wolf tickets. If you're going to say something, get your facts straight. That was not the year the Detroit Pistons won a championship. That was a year later. In 2015, they blew a 3-1 lead to the Houston Rockets. Doc Rivers' excuse for that, well, Chris Paul's playing on one leg. We had a bunch of, a bunch of guys hurt and banged up. You know, things happen. Things happen. It's out of my control. Then he did it again in the bubble in 2020 against the Denver Nuggets. The Clippers blew a 3-1 series lead. What's the reason for that? It's the bubble. Anything can happen in the bubble. You know, that game seven would have been in Staples Center had it not been for the pandemic. And that's true, too. So Doc Rivers, in his mind anyway, is absolved from all three playoff failures where he blew a 3-1 lead because circumstances out of his control and shit happens. Chris Paul's on one leg. You're in a bubble. It's a global pandemic. Black people getting shot left and right, and it's on camera. The whole world's in shambles. That's why we blew a 3-1 lead. It's not my fault. Regardless of whether or not Doc Rivers wants to take responsibility for blowing three 3-1 leads, the bottom line is that's on his resume. That happened. He has to answer for that. He should answer for that. That's on your coaching resume. You are the coach who blew three 3-1 series leads. And now you find yourself in a playoff series where you're going to be potentially without your best player. Joel Embiid has a broken orbital bone. Why in the fuck was Joel Embiid still on the court 
in game six against Toronto with less than five minutes to go, and the game was being decided by 29 points. The Philadelphia 76ers had a 29-point lead at this juncture of the game in which Pascal Siakam's elbow made contact with Joel Embiid's face and broke his face, and the result is Joel Embiid is out indefinitely. Perfect timing, right? Joel Embiid is out for no specified amount of time as you're about to play the number one seed, Miami Heat. This series is going to be over in four games. I'm going to call it right now. Joel Embiid can't go. He's out indefinitely or less than 100%. You know what? I'll give him one game. I'll give this game also, this series also, a gentleman's sweep. I think Embiid will play at some point in this series. He has to play. Philadelphia has no chance in hell. This man voice of beating Miami without Joel Embiid. They don't have much of a chance with him. But Embiid is good enough to play one game while being hurt and still leave Philadelphia to one win at least as long as he clears concussion protocol, puts a mask on, and tries to play through it. This kind of thing has happened to him before, unfortunately, when he was playing college basketball in Kansas in a game against Oklahoma. He broke a couple bones in his face. So unfortunately, he's accustomed to this. I think he's tough enough to play one game at least, one or two games in Philadelphia, and they can win one of those games. But other than that, I don't see how this series is going to work out well for Philadelphia. James Harden, well, it's that time of the year, isn't it? It's time for the yearly annual James Harden playoff collapse. First round versus Toronto, not his usual self. Not his usual self at all. Looks a bit slow, as if he's lost a step. That's what happens when you don't take care of your body, when you're partying with rappers all day, and you're being fat. That's what happens. You lose a step. You're getting old. You know, one of the trends we're seeing in these playoffs, out with the old, in with the new, the previous generation, on the back nine of their career, on the downslope, trending in the wrong direction. LeBron didn't even make the playoffs. KD got swept out of the first round. More on him in a little bit. I mean, you got Harden getting old now. You know, quiet as kept, Steph Curry's 34. I mean, Golden State's still playing right now, still playing at a high level. There, you got Golden State and you got Chris Paul with Phoenix, who are still representing the old guard. But the rest of their contemporaries starting to show their age. Kawhi Leonard didn't even play this year. Torn ACL in last year's playoffs. Did not play one single minute of basketball this season. The Clippers missed the playoffs. Paul George had his share of injuries this season. He's on the wrong side of 30, just like Kawhi. Just like Westbrook, just like Curry, Clay, Draymond, Damian Lillard. There's a lot of guys from the previous generation. Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge. These guys are getting older now. Now you got this new crop, this new generation coming in. Devin Booker and Luka Doncic and Trey Young, Jason Tatum, John Morant, Anthony Edwards. You know, there's a new there's some new sheriffs in town now. There's a new generation coming in ready to push the old guard out the door. You know, like I said, Curry, CP. They're kind of fighting back. They're offering resistance. But the rest of the old guard, your time is up and their time is now. As John Cena might say, it's a new day. Yes, it is. James Harden right now, to me, running out of chances. As the late great Kobe Bryant once said about James Harden, he's never going to win a championship. It's not going to happen this year. Philadelphia is going to be escorted out of the playoffs by the Miami Heat. When you don't know the status of Joel Embiid, and you've got an old, fat James Harden averaging 22.5 points a game on 41% shooting from the field, you're in trouble. And you would combine that with Doc Rivers, 
who routinely gets outcoached. This, look at the coaching matchup in this series. Doc Rivers versus Eric Spolstra. I hate to say it. I hate to down the brother like this, but I got to call facts. I call it right down the middle as I say in the intro. Eric Spolstra is exponentially better as a head coach than Doc Rivers. Eric Spolstra will run laps around Doc Rivers in this series. So, yeah, Miami in five. The Milwaukee Bucks gave the Ronnie Garvin, the rugged Ronnie Garvin, Garvin stomp to the Chicago Bulls in that series. You know, I wanted Chicago to win this series. I I ain't going to lie. I'm not going to hold that back. I wanted the Chicago Bulls to win this series for some reason. Well, actually, I know what the reason is. I grew up in the 90s. The Bulls have sentimental appeal to me. I watched the Bulls win six championships. I watched my favorite player of all time, in my opinion, the greatest player of all time, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, win six championships with the Chicago Bulls. To me, the NBA is a better place when the Bulls are a good basketball team and competitive and in the playoffs. So speaking as a longtime basketball fan and also speaking with nostalgia, I was very, I was rooting for the Bulls. I wanted the Bulls to at least be competitive in this series, to at least win two games. I knew that I knew they had no chance. Because in the regular season, the Bulls were 2-20 versus teams over 500. Obviously, you're in the playoffs. For the majority of the teams, they're all over 500. You're going to play a good basketball team. This was a 3-6 matchup. Milwaukee was a 3-seed. The Bulls were a 6-seed. Bulls got out to a nice start this season when they had all their people, and then guys started getting hurt. Uh, Lonzo Ball and knee injury ended up ended up having knee surgery for a torn meniscus. Only played 34 games this season. They were such a fun team to watch at the beginning of the season when they had Lonzo in uniform and Caruso and Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic and P.J. Williams and Kobe White. This is a nice, fun basketball team. It was cool seeing the Bulls win. They get to the playoffs, losing bodies and losing confidence. Caruso got banged up in this series. DeRozan had one good game in Game 2. And then he came back to, back to life, back to reality, as P.M. Dawn would say. I mean, DeRozan can be the Frozen in a heartbeat. He can easily show you that Toronto Raptors DeRozan, who got owned by LeBron James year after year after year in the NBA playoffs, he can show you that in the flick of a light switch. And in games three, four, and five, that's what you saw. You saw DeFrozen. You saw DeRozan in game two. He was DeFrozen in games three, four, and five. Giannis Antetokounmpo, there's no answer for him. He is right now the most dominant, omnipotent force in the National Basketball Association. He is like year 2000 Shaquille O'Neal. There's no physical answer for him. One-on-one, you cannot do anything with this dude. I I will apologize right now. I will humbly apologize with every fiber of my being. I mean this. I'm sorry for all the mean, nasty, cruel, cold-hearted, Awful things I said about Giannis Antetokounmpo when I said he lacked skill and he could barely dribble. I had the audacity to call Giannis Antetokounmpo an upgraded version of Stromile Swift. I'm, what the fuck was I thinking? What the fuck was I thinking? I apologize humbly. Giannis Antetokounmpo, if you're listening out there, first of all, thank you. Obviously, you have good taste. You're listening to the Deion Gordon podcast. I apologize, my brother. I'm sorry. I had to ask myself, why do I have a problem with Giannis Antetokounmpo? This guy does everything I think a star basketball player should do. He won a championship for the team that drafted him. He's cool. He's laid back. He's down to earth. He comes across as a regular person. He tells corny dad jokes at post-game news conferences. What do you call a cow 
laying on the ground. What do you call a cow laying on the ground? Ground beef. And that joke was the comedic stylings of Giannis Antetokounmpo in a post-game news conference. That's funny as shit. That's a hilarious corny dad joke. I'm a sucker for corny dad jokes. I think they're funny as fuck. And it's even funnier when a Greek dude who kind of sort of speaks broken English is trying to read and recite the joke. That's funny. He had a book. He had a book of corny ass dad jokes that he brought with him to a post-game news conference. This guy's amazing. This guy last year in the NBA Finals pulverized the Phoenix Suns, just punished them for six games. And in game six, in the series-clinching game, he scores 50 points to lead his team to victory. Finals MVP. The very next day, he goes to Chick-fil-A and orders a 50-piece nugget. That's the kind of shit that I would do. If I was an NBA basketball player, I would do something just like that. I love Chick-fil-A. I eat Chick-fil-A once a week. That's the Lord's chicken. Jesus Christ himself wants you, me, and everyone else on this earth to have a spicy chicken sandwich with pepper jack cheese on it. With the macaroni, not the waffle fries. The waffle fries are dry. They're terrible. They suck. Chick-fil-A's fries are garbage. But the the macaroni with the spicy chicken sandwich with the, the pepper jack cheese, Jesus wants you to have that. He put this here for you. That's the Lord's chicken. Chick-fil-A and Giannis Antetokounmpo is also a Chick-fil-A enthusiast, much like myself. So when I thought about all this, he loves Chick-fil-A. He tells corny dad jokes. He's awesome. He dominates in the NBA Finals. He does exactly what I always say a bona fide NBA superstar is supposed to do. You win a championship for the team that drafted you. He's not involved in all the corny-ass bullshit and politics and diva-ass antics that other star players are caught up in. He don't dress goofy. He's a regular-ass dude. Why did I have a problem with Giannis Antetokounmpo? I'm sorry, and I'm crazy, and I apologize. And above all else, I was wrong. Okay, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You are not the upgraded version of Stromile Swift. That's such a that's, that's careless. I shouldn't have said that. That's wrong. I'm sorry, Giannis. Sold a 180. You are the best player in the NBA right now. You are the man. Who cares if you're not the most skilled? Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, yes, they're more skilled basketball players than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Anthony Davis is a more skilled player. He's not a better player. Doesn't mean a whole lot. Yes, you can dribble the basketball better. Yes, you have better footwork. Yes, you have a full repertoire of moves and a wide array of what you can do in the basketball court. Yes, you got more in your bag than Giannis Antetokounmpo has in his bag, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. This guy's a physical marvel. This guy will run you over. He's the irresistible force and the immovable object. You can't do shit with him. It takes a village of motherfuckers to stop this dude. He's the baddest man in the NBA right now. The reigning finals MVP, like I said, dominated Phoenix in six games last season. No interior presence at all for the Suns last year. And they got mollywhopped by Giannis Antetokounmpo in that series. That's why he was finals MVP. He's the man right now. There's no answer for this brother. And plays the game the right way. And getting better. That's the scary part. That's what's really, that's what's really fucking scary. He's somehow getting better. He's evolving his game. He's a better free throw shooter. He's a better three-point shooter. A better shooter, period. 
He's learning. He's developing some of those moves. He's only about 27, 28 years old, already a two-time league MVP, already accomplished so much, a top 75 player already. He's only getting better. He works on his craft. I got nothing but respect for that. He's awesome. The driving force behind that Milwaukee Bucks team, but losing Chris Middleton for the entire second round versus Boston to an MCL sprain. If you're Milwaukee, that sucks. That really fucking sucks. As I said earlier, health determines who wins the NBA Finals. Whoever has the most bodies still standing. The most key players, star players still in uniform and available to participate in that game that night. That team has the best chance of winning. For Milwaukee to be missing one of their key guys at this juncture of the season, this is critical for them. Because this is not... You're stepping up in weight class as you go through the playoffs. Obviously, you play against better basketball teams. Boston is a better team than Chicago, and they got more people they can throw at you, big bodies they can throw at you. It's going to be tough. Boston, to me, I think could employ that 2019 Raptors strategy of trying to build a wall between Giannis and the basket. You know, Serrano had Kawhi Leonard checking him on the perimeter. But right behind them, the backups, the reinforcements, the cavalry and the infantry, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam. Boston could do a similar thing. You could have Tatum on the perimeter trying to bother Giannis, and right behind him, his cavalry, his infantry, his backup, Robert Williams, who returned early from a knee injury of his own in that first-round series versus Brooklyn. Al Horford, the resurrected Al Horford, still playing at a high level after all these years. Daniel Tice. Boston's got a number of big bodies of their own they can throw at Giannis and at least get in his way somewhat to a degree and bother him. So now that I've already mentioned it, let's go ahead and dive right into the most talked about series of the first round. The series with the most star power, the most hype, the two seed Boston Celtics versus the number seven seed Brooklyn Nets. The same Brooklyn Nets that were picked by over 71% of the GMs and front office people in the NBA in a preseason poll to go to and win this year's NBA Finals. As a matter of fact, the two teams that had the best odds to get to this year's NBA Finals, representing the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers, and representing the Eastern Conference, the Brooklyn Nets. Those were the two teams, the two clear favorites, the leaders in the clubhouse to get to this year's NBA Finals. One team didn't even qualify for the play-in tournament. The other team got swept out the first round. In my opinion, the Nets were the East Coast Lakers, a team comprised of old, over-the-hill, aging basketball players on the wrong side of 30. A lot of names, a lot of randomly thrown-together pieces. This team, similar to the Lakers, would have been very fucking good in 2015. If you put all these guys together six, seven, eight years ago, that's a dominant basketball team. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Goran Dragic, that's a hell of a basketball team. This team would have been phenomenal in 2016. They'd have been something. Unfortunately, the calendar says 2022, and this team was the drizzling shits. The roster construction of this team didn't make sense. This team, this team and the Lakers goes against what the current modern NBA is all about. The current NBA is no longer about superstar players linking up and joining forces. The era of the super team, thankfully, is coming to a close because of the overall failures of both the Nets and the Lakers and the rise of other teams that are currently still playing 
in the NBA playoffs. If you want to win going forward in today's NBA, you got to have the three C's, consistency, continuity, cohesion. Now, first things first, let's go ahead and define those words, consistency, continuity, and cohesion. Consistency is defined as conformity in the application of something, typically that which is necessary for the sake of logic, accuracy, or fairness. Logic, accuracy, and fairness, three things I will always be in favor of. Let's go ahead and define continuity. Continuity is defined as the unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. The unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. And finally, cohesion. Cohesion is defined as the action or fact of forming a united whole. Think about all three of those words and the definition of it. Cohesion, the action or fact of forming a united whole. Consistency, continuity, cohesion, three things that did not apply to the Los Angeles Lakers or the Brooklyn Nets this season. Logic, accuracy, and fairness. Where is the logic in thinking that your second best player is not going to play home games for the majority of the season, can only play on the road, and you're going to win a championship that way? Where's the logic in that? Where's the fairness to the rest of the team? How do you establish continuity? How do you build cohesion? when your second-best player can't play home games until late in the season when the New York City mandate was reversed. And for the record, I support Kyrie Irving and what he was doing and his decision to make a choice about his body and what goes into his body. I respect what he's doing. I'm not going to denigrate or slander Kyrie Irving, but from a logistics standpoint, how do you expect to win a championship when you only play every other game? You don't play home games. KD and Kyrie only played 21 games together this season. That's not going to work. How do you build a basketball team like that when you have this random mix of dudes being thrown into the lineup when the lineup changes every night because Kyrie can only play road games in certain cities? You answer this season with James Harden. James Harden appears to be washed, as Kyrie said allegedly about James Harden during the practice. You trade him midseason, an unprecedented trade. Two all-star players being traded within the same division, Brooklyn and Philadelphia, each in the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference, says a lot about both players, says a lot about what those organizations think about those players. You get Ben Simmons for James Harden. Ben Simmons played as much basketball for the Nets as I did. No minutes, no time on the court at all. No games played for the Brooklyn Nets for Ben Simmons. Benjamin did not want to play basketball. He appears as if playing basketball is a major inconvenience to him, which is crazy because Ben Simmons is a basketball player. Ben Simmons allegedly has a back injury. I'll ask the question, when, where, and how did this back injury occur? Can someone answer that question for me? When, where, and how did this back injury, this phantom back injury for Ben Simmons occur? The last time he played was last year's playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks in Game 7 where he was abysmal, where he passed up an open dunk at the rim where the only person between him and the rim was Trey Young, and he passed the ball, and it results in a turnover, and they go on to lose the game. And he was ran out of Philadelphia. He ran out of town, was ran out of town by the fans. This is Philly we're talking about. Philadelphia fans don't put up with shit like that. They want nothing to do with him. So they kept him on the bench all season long. He was on the roster, but he wasn't playing. 
He was allowed to practice. He was thrown out of a couple practices. He didn't play basketball at all for the 76ers this season. Then he gets traded and doesn't play for the Nets. When did this back injury take place? When, where, and how did this back injury occur? How you fuck your back up doing nothing? When you get traded from one team to another, you have to clear a physical before that trade can be finalized. How did Ben Simmons pass the physical if his back is that fucked up? The Brooklyn Nets season was a complete disaster. You were picked to go to the finals. You got swept in the first round. Wasn't really a dominant sweep, but still a sweep nonetheless. Your season's still over. They lost four games by a combined total of 18 points. Game one, Kyrie at 39, his best game in the series. Jason Tatum wins game one on a game-winning layup. Game two, Brooklyn blows a big lead, and they lose that game. They come back home for game three. Now, rumors have come out that Ben Simmons was potentially going to play if was going to play in game four. To which a lot of people said, to which I agree with, if you are healthy enough to play in game four, potentially, then why can't you play in game three? That doesn't make any sense. They lose game three, game four, the season's on the line. It's pretty much over. No team in the history, the 75-year history of the NBA playoffs has ever overcame a 3-0 series deficit. That's never happened. No one's ever come back from being down 3-0. But the the reports, the rumors, the story was that Ben Simmons was going to play. He'd been playing in practice and four-on-fours and five-on-fives, light practices, 20 minutes. You know, the story was he was going to come out and try to give it a go in game four. And then once they were down 3-0, he backed out or they retracted that story, that report, and he he wasn't going to play. He's sitting on the bench in game three dressed like a pack of Skittles. And it looks even worse where you're sitting amongst your teammates who are all wearing all black. The Brooklyn Nets are wearing their black uniforms at home. And there's Ben Simmons dressed like a fucking peacock at seven feet tall. You can't miss this dude. Conspicuous by his absence on the court. How come you're not playing? He said he had a mental health issue that triggered an issue with his back. I've never heard that before. You're depressed, so your back is fucked up. That's a new one. I should try that at work. You're depressed, so your back is fucked up. This series, in my opinion, was a changing in the guard from Tatum to Kevin Durant. Jason Tatum put Kevin Durant in solitary confinement. Not only was he giving it to Durant on the offensive end, Tatum was a primary defender of Kevin Durant in this series. KD in this series struggled mightily. Game one, 41 minutes, 23 points, 9 of 24 from the field, Four rebounds, three assists. Game two, 42 minutes, 27 points. Four for 17 from the field. Game three, 46 minutes, 16 points. Six of 11 from the field. Eight rebounds, eight assists. Game four was the only good game he had. 39 points, 13 to 31 shooting. Even then, he scores 39, but it took 31 to get that 39. He didn't play a clean game, a great game in game four. Tatum put that man in solitary confinement. He fucked him up. He took, he got the juice now. Put it like that. Jason Tatum got the juice now. He's the new modern Kevin Durant. Kyrie, for the majority of the series, was passive. I don't know. He got that, he had that back and forth with the Boston fans in game one. He gave him the finger a couple of times. He got fined for that. 
jarring back and forth. Everyone knows Kyrie's history with, with Boston. He played there a couple of years ago. He was asked if he was coming back the next season. He said, if you'll have me, I'd love to come back. He didn't come back. Boston has hated him ever since. This is Boston we're talking about. He was more than likely called a number of racial slurs in that game in game one and two. Last year, when uh, these two teams played in last year's playoffs, Brooklyn won that series. Kyrie Irving, if you remember, stomped on the, on the leprechaun in the middle of the court. That caused a big controversy. How dare you step on the leprechaun, Kyrie Irving? You know, Kyrie Irving is a polarizing figure. A lot of people love him. A lot of people hate him. He's one of my favorite players. But he was not good in this series at all. He was not good. Made some head-scratching defensive decisions as well. You go back to game four right before halftime. Tatum has the ball at the elbow. He's posting up, time running out in the first half. Kyrie Irving collapses a double team on him. Jason Tatum, to his credit, has worked on his game and developed and become more of a playmaker. For a lot of years, he was known only as a scorer. Now he can facilitate offense. Now he can get teammates involved and pass the ball, rack up assists. He finds Grant, he finds Grant Williams in the corner for a corner three. A six-point lead now becomes a nine-point lead going into halftime. Jason Tatum's getting better. Kyrie Irving, like I said, some lapses in judgment defensively combined with his overall passivity on the offensive end. Take game one out of the equation, he did not have a good series. Game three was when we arrived at the Michael Wilbon portion of the playoff series, and that is, of course, when both teams realize who the better basketball team is. The Boston Celtics are a better basketball team than the Brooklyn Nets. More athletic, more deaf, bigger, stronger, faster, and better coached in every, in every way possible. Udoka is a better coach than Steve Nash. Not even close. The better basketball team won this series. Even though, like I said, four games by a combined 18 points, still, a win is a win, a loss is a loss. Boston is better than Brooklyn. Steve Nash had to dig up the ashes of Blake Griffin and put him on the court to try to get a spark. It, it did. It, it worked on the offensive end. He came in in game three, made some threes, you know, some, some loose balls, some hustle plays, some energy, a good spark off the bench offensively. Defensively, he was a liability. All he did was switch on pick and roll. Jalen Brown top of the key at the perimeter. Whoever's guarding, whoever Blake Griffin's man was, comes to the screen. Now Blake Griffin has to guard Jalen Brown. That's not going to work. That's not a good situation for the Brooklyn Nets. And Jalen Brown wiped his feet on Blake Griffin, treated him like a doormat, kicked his ass every time he had to switch on pick and roll. I go back to this point. That super team era is over with. These old, aging, relic, antique basketball teams are not going to win championships going forward. It's a young man's game. It's a new day. It's a new league. All these guys from the previous generation starting to fall off by the wayside, starting to creep up in age, and the younger cats are rising up. They're ready. They're mature now. They're ready to assume the mantle of NBA superstars. They're ready to start winning championships now. They're ready to cement their legacy now. And you can't just throw a bunch of random-ass guys together and hope to win a championship. You have to build. you, you got to have infrastructure. you got to build something. You have to be in direct correlation with your G League team. you got to have guys on your roster. you got to have a plan, cohesion, continuity, consistency from year to year to year. Look at the teams that are still playing right now. Memphis has that. Boston has that. 
Miami has that. Miami has a culture. That's a fourth C. Throw that in there. You got to have culture. You got to have identity. There has to be a way you want to play basketball, and you go out and you find players that correlate with that identity. You're seeing homegrown talent win for a lot of the teams that are still playing. Giannis is a draft pick in Milwaukee. Look at Memphis. All those guys are draft picks, except for Stephen Adams, but John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson. Those are draft picks. Brandon Clark, draft pick. Look at the Phoenix Suns, the best team in the NBA, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, you got Chris Paul, free agent. But the main core, the main infrastructure of that team, draft picks. Built from within, the culture is established. Golden State been doing that for years. Golden State established a dynasty off of building from within and having a culture and having a certain way you want to go about conducting your business. Homegrown talent. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, they were drafted by the Golden State Warriors and groomed and developed, and they, they were allowed to grow up and build a basketball team and build a culture over a set number of years. They have a certain way they go about their business. You're still seeing it right now with Jordan Poole, homegrown player. He fits their identity and what they want to do. They know how they want to play basketball. Brooklyn doesn't know. They thought, they thought this was NBA 2K on GM association mode or whatever. You just go out, make some trades, throw a bunch of guys together, and you, know, you, you have so much talent. You're so arrogant about what you're doing. You think the talent is going to win out. No. They got to establish something. They got to build cohesion and continuity and consistency. And that wasn't done in Brooklyn, and it wasn't done in Los Angeles with the Lakers. Biggest reason for that is you have the three, you know, two or three all-star players, right? They were big names six, seven years ago or in their prime four or five years ago. You have two or three guys like that eating up the majority of your salary cap. They're getting contracts for like, you know, 40, 50 million dollars a season. You know, Kyrie has a player option of, I think, like 39 million. Of course, he's coming back next season. Russell Westbrook has a player option of 47 million. He'd be a fool not to pick up that option. Who else is going to give him that money? But those guys are taking up so much capital, so much money, so much of the cap. You can't afford to bring anyone else in of quality. You're bringing in a bunch of guys on one-year deals. They're just hired. They're just mercenaries. They're not a part of a culture. You don't have an identity. You're just a bunch of guys playing basketball, not playing together. You're just five dudes on the court playing basketball independently, not collectively, not as a team, independently. The basketball gods don't like that. The basketball gods struck down lightning on the Brooklyn Nets and the L.A. Lakers this season. What a catastrophic collapse from both of these teams on opposite sides of the country. So with all that being said, we now have Boston and Milwaukee going forward. That's going to be an amazing series. Preliminary prediction for that one. As I said, with no Chris Middleton, it makes things very difficult for Milwaukee. I like Boston in six. I think Boston's got enough, enough firepower. Like I said earlier, they can deploy, they can employ that 2019 Toronto Raptors strategy against Giannis. We'll see how it all pans out. I'm very interested in all four series going forward. But so far to me, I'm looking at an Eastern Conference final of Boston and Miami and a Western Conference final of Golden State and Phoenix. We'll see how it all pans out. Am I right? Am I wrong? Since I said it out loud, more than likely, the exact opposite of everything I just said is going to happen. That's typically how it goes. That's why I don't gamble anymore, because you can't predict this shit. But either way, this has been fun to watch. I don't miss 
the people who are not in the playoffs this year. I don't miss them at all. I'm enjoying these new faces, these new teams, stepping to the forefront and being on the NBA center stage. I think it's cool. I think it's good for the game. It's a great evolution of the game. Out with the old, in with the new, and you got to have some kind of consistency in what you're doing in regards to building your basketball team and establishing a culture. If you don't do that going forward in the new modern NBA, you're not going to win. Looking forward to the second round of this year's NBA playoffs, it's only going to get better. And with that, we have reached the conclusion of this particular episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. As always, eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.